you drink tea mostly or you like coffee? Drink both. Yeah? Yeah. What's, what are you on now? Coffee or tea? I feel like I go through phases. Like I do tea for a bit and then I do coffee. Um, I feel like I just, I always do coffee in the morning, but then in the afternoon, especially now, I'm like, oh, I want tea, I want something warm. Ooh, yeah. But I'm like an iced coffee drinker all the time. So yeah. like when so, I want something warm, it's like, it's tea. So I feel like winter time, I'm more of a tea person. Yeah, I, think I feel the same way about iced coffee. Like it's just, maybe it's a convenient thing. That you know? way. Cool. Yeah, you can, you can have yours. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Where do you get your iced coffee? Uh, I'm, we like went really hardcore on like a coffee espresso machine and um, my boyfriend's just like very much into like making it. So he makes like whatever I want, you know, like, Whoa. so we'll do like a uh, shaken espresso, iced espresso or like an iced latte. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty good. Pretty spoiled. I love that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm imagining like the, like the silver one with all the, all the things. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really good. It's definitely like before I was like, I'm not really like a coffee, like connoisseur. Like I didn't really think like I would notice a difference, but now I'm like, oh yeah. Like I like this coffee better than this. Okay. Like I'm like, you know, more on the like medium dark roast. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> I'm You're like, finding yourself through <laughs> yeah, coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it's all the same. And then I was like, no, it's like, it's really not all the same. But I used to be like, yeah, it's just whatever. It's caffeine. It gets me going. But now I'm like, kind yeah. of like, not snobby about it. But like, I definitely look forward yeah, yeah. to the morning coffee. Yeah, more refined, a more refined palate. Yeah. So then when we're not at home, I'm like, where are we going to get good coffee? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Starbucks doesn't really cut it. It's kind of burnt. <laughs> I love Starbucks, but I haven't had like good coffee. My, my therapist, um, Adrian here, he, he actually is really good with his coffee. He does a whole, like, pour over. Mm -hmm. Like, he got the whole process. Mm -hmm. and it's like a whole experience that he does it. Mm -hmm. But you guys more like, you got the, the machine and you press it and then you got to scrape the... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, I just saw, I, I watched these videos of people making coffee in those machines and I'm mesmerized because it just looks so elegant and just, it looks so nice the way they're doing it. We created a, um, like you're supposed to, I forget what the word of the tool is, but you're supposed to um, like disturb the grounds, I guess, to like, yeah. and like stir them up. And it's like a 70 or $80 tool. So we used um, like the needles for like dry needling, okay. like the right filament and put them into a um, cork for a wine bottle and just mm. like made our own and it works just as well. <laughs> See, sometimes you don't even need to get like the legit stuff. No. <laughs> you gotta, just got to be creative. Yeah, just make your own. <laughs> All right, we'll get it going. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time at PhysioX. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Chelsea Brown, another physical therapist, but she has a very different niche. She works with people with uh, concussion. Yes. Now that is something very interesting because it's not, I don't think that's a very popular niche, but it's a very... Uh, important one that everyone should, should know about. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about like, how did you get into concussion? Did you have a concussion? Is that your journey or how did you go? Yeah, so my initial journey into the concussion rehab space was from my own concussion um, in a non-traditional sense uh, from, you know, sport. It affected my sports, but I, it was not a sports concussion. Uh, so when I was in college as an athlete on the Northeastern rowing team, I was in a 
motor vehicle accident where I got rear-ended and sustained a concussion there. And, you know, as a rower, we're not really going to get hit in the head unless maybe you're not paying attention. <laughs> a rower? What? A rower? Yeah, uh, like crew. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and uh, so we, when I went to the sports medicine, they were like, oh, well, you know, you didn't say you hit your head, and you're not going to risk hitting your head going back to practice, so you can go back to practice. Um, and I went back to practice, you know, two days later, and it just didn't, didn't feel right. Kind of everything had a lot of headaches, was really nauseous, dizzy, um, and kind of through my own experience and knowledge and talking to some other physical therapists at the time, I was on a PT internship, and mm -hmm. they were like, you have a concussion, like, you should not be practicing. I'm like, okay. So I essentially, like, self-pulled myself out and was told my coach, I'm like, I don't think I can practice at least for a little bit. Like, my headaches are really bad. I'm really dizzy. I get really nauseous, like, after practice, all that stuff. So we kind of agreed that I was going to take part of that season off, at least for the next couple of weeks, and kind of see how things go. And it was just a lot of the rest, wait and see kind of situation. Not a lot of therapy or interventions were provided. I was just kind of managing my symptoms, not doing activity. Um, I was on internship at the time, so I wasn't in classes. I wasn't spending a lot of time on computers. So like that was in and of itself a blessing, I guess you could mm say. Um, and then I just, you know, went back through schooling and, you know, it was kind of behind me. It wasn't anything I really thought of, but it definitely... Uh, were things that probably inhibited my way of learning after the fact that I didn't know. I just thought I was a tired student athlete trying to complete grad school and be an athlete at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and then fast forward to the end of our uh, PT schooling and we had an opportunity for our clinicals um, and my, I had met the other requirements for my clinical rotations and we got this one that was gonna be in Park City, Utah. And it was all concussion and vestibular, vision and vestibular based uh, for our last clinical rotation. And I was like, hmm, one of my really good friends in college had grown up going to Park City and all she could ever talk about was how cool it was, how great it was. And I was like, well, I always wanted that experience of being able to go try somewhere new where there wasn't a lot of responsibility. You know, if I didn't like it, it was, it was a short period of time, but it was a good way to experience outside of the New England area that I had grown up in and gone to school in. So I was like, why not? I'm like very interested in what that might look like because I know that what I got probably wasn't what it should have looked like. Um, and that's how I ended up down the concussion rabbit hole <laughs> that I went in. Yeah. I mean, well, having a concussion and then treating concussion, I would say they're almost two separate things. Mm -hmm. So what drew you to like want to treat concussions? Um, I wanted there to be more awareness, I think. Um, had I known like the things that I had done in school, like I always printed out my notes. Like after I got a concussion, I could never do class on a computer. I couldn't focus. Like it always, you know, gave me headaches, but I kind of gave the excuse of, oh, well, like you just, you're tired. You have a hard time focusing. There's so many things that could easily distract you on your computer, you know, whatever we did looking up at random things and not paying attention to lectures. I kind of just gave excuses to the reason why, like I always printed everything. I always handwritten my notes. Like all my studying was like highlighting, like all those sort of things, which were processing differently after my concussion than before. Before I was always a computer person, like, you know, be able to do multiple things. Um, and realizing what treatments were available, I thought like I needed to, uh, help other people realize that that was available. It's not just a wait and see mm -hmm. um, and that there are things you can do to make it better. 
right? So what is the current like treatment model for concussion, like the traditional treatment protocol? Yeah, so, so let's run through like a scenario. So like, um, what's like like a kid mm -hmm. play sports, high school, got a concussion, mm -hmm. go see their doc. Like, what does that journey typically look like for someone like that? Yeah, so typically um, they'll go see their doctor, uh, and then if the doctor you know notices any deficits, there's what a lot of people do is called a VOM screen. So they're looking at the vestibular ocular movements. Um, and seeing like how things are, some of those stereotypical uh, deficits that people have. So the visual tracking that can be impaired. Like visual tracking, like they can't follow objects? Yeah, so if you okay. like, you can't follow a pencil or something like that. Right. Um, you can't jump your eyes between two targets without it looking like you're going over um, mm -hmm. a chainsaw. Um, or the ability to you know, maintain focus on a target while you move your head. Those are the sort of things that they'll screen for. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, if that screen, and then they're looking at balance, balance with their eyes closed, um, you know, coordination. If any of that kind of comes up as a positive, they might refer them to physical therapy or um, some, another neurologist or something to do further testing. Uh, and in that sense, that most of those people aren't cleared to like immediately go back to sport. You know, sometimes kids will go in, it's two weeks, everything looks normal, they'll go back to sport. Those are, you know, the easy ones, easy ones per se. Um, and someone who might get referred to PT because of those findings, what we're looking at is their findings at rest um, and then how they respond to exertion, right? So in a kid who might heal a little bit faster, might not have any complaints, like really looking just to get back into sport. We'll try to do things with them that will simulate sport, um, you know, get their heart rate up, see how they respond to that, and see if any of those findings are different. So sometimes when you, after running an exertional test with them, so on the treadmill, just increasing incline, seeing how their heart rate responds, we'll then retest all the things that we tested before and see how they look. And if they look worse, that's typically where we're like, okay, you're not really ready to go back to sport. We need to start going down these a little bit more. And that's where probably more of a treatment plan will come into play based on how they present. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to say traditional protocol looks like this because people can present so differently. They're looking now more at about five different subtypes of concussions. Um, so is it more visually driven? Is it more vestibularly driven? Is it more like cervicogenic and just neck driven with glass type um, symptoms? Uh, is it more emotionally driven that they're having like more emotional regulation? Um, and I kind of think that stems into like an autonomic dysregulation. I think those two go hand in hand although most of the research right now, they're just looking at the mood stuff, and then um, cognitive. So are they having memory, speech uh, deficits, things like that? And depending on which one of those subtypes is their main driver will affect what kind of protocol they end up going down and what path they end up taking for their uh, treatment. Right, so it's very individualized and it very much depends on the person coming in, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Now, is that something standard for most concussion PTs and that they go through that entire process? Or is there a gap between like traditional physical therapy for concussion versus like what you're currently doing? Yeah, so I would say there's definitely a gap. I went into that first, my first rotation or that rotation with the concussion therapy and I watched my CI and I was like, we learned nothing of this. 
in PT school. Mm. Um, it's just very much something that, you know, I was lucky and fortunate enough to have that 16-week rotation working under her, who she had a lot of advanced um, education in the field and had learned from eye doctors and OTs and kind of a lot of mix of disciplines to pull this all together. Uh, and it is like you'll have traditional PTs that might be really good at the next side of things because that is a little bit more of the orthopedics that we learn in school mm -hmm. or some people enjoy, you know, neck and cervicogenic headaches because it comes from things other than just concussions. Um, you might have a really good vestibular PT that does um, a lot of gaze stabilization, kind of VOR work, which is the vestibular ocular reflex. For those who don't understand, the vestibular PT works with the inner ear. Inner ear, yep. Yep, okay. And then, so it's like spatial awareness and balance focused. Not a lot of physical therapists will do the vision side of things. Um, our vision training came from an eye doctor that we worked close with. Um, and typically that tends to be more like occupational therapists that work in eye doctors that do vision therapy. Um, but not a lot of people mix it all together, which is really nice and unique that, you know, while we do talk about subtypes, people often cross subtypes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not They usually a, double dip yeah. or triple dip into different areas. Yeah. I can't just cleanly put you in a bucket and go, go on my way. You often will start to miss these other things. Um, so it is really helpful to just be able to make, uh, kind of combine it all together and know how the vision system, visual system interlaces with the vestibular system and how that affects like how you can drive, you know, how like turning your head and checking your blind spot or, you know, playing sports and having a awareness of your teammate that's off over your in your left periphery that you might not be able to completely see, but okay. having that spatial awareness as to where they are. Um, so that's what kind of is unique is that one, it takes down the appointment burden, right? You're only mm -hmm. having to go to one provider, but you're able to touch on three different things that are driving mm -hmm. your symptoms. Uh, and then it, they're all working together. So you're not, you know, inadvertently treating one thing, but almost forgetting about another and making that other thing worse because you weren't aware that it existed. Right. Like if you have someone with emotional and vestibular if you do one without taking into consideration the other, you might just go at running around circles because you're not really gonna get have that the issue because they are interacting with each other right, the whole exactly. time. Okay. Yeah, and we use a very similar philosophy for orthopedics, right? Mm -hmm. Like someone coming with a knee, well we have to look at the foot, we look mm -hmm. at the hip, we look at the shoulders. We wanna see how everything is interconnected together. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were taking a very similar approach, but just working uh, well diving a little bit deeper into concussions. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yeah. Now, yeah, I love that about the practice now. Now, tell me a bit about, there is this whole, well, I don't know too much about concussions. That's why you're here today to talk <laughs> about it. The whole light sensitivity, because that is something, you know, I feel most people know about concussions. It's like, you can't have sharp lights. Mm -hmm. Now, do you believe that people just, just lock themselves in a dark room? No, so like the photo, photophobia or photosensitivity with like the lights is something that you almost have to think about in the same sense of you would cardiovascular activity. You can be deconditioned to cardiovascular activity if you have an orthopedic injury, right, and you spend a lot of time where you can't walk because of your knee. Um, if you kind of lock yourself in a dark room and don't expose yourself to light, you're gonna make that photosensitivity worse. The first time that you, you know, you open the door again and like the light comes back, it's like 
all symptoms are you know, triggered and you, you have really poor tolerance and it's really hard to bring that back up. Mm. So we always say steer clear away from dark rooms. That is kind of a very old wives tale recommendation mm. after a concussion. And you want to limit the bright lights, you know, you don't want to go into an office building with maybe really harsh overhead lighting, but you want to make sure that you're trying to keep your shades open in your house, you know, giving yourself exposure to some of that light. Um, you want to limit your screen use, but you don't want to totally eliminate your screen use either, right? If you're someone who spends eight hours on a computer at work, you don't want to go just completely down to zero. Maybe the first day or two, you want to give yourself that rest. But then you also want to give yourself continued exposure to that stimulus in doses that don't make you symptomatic. So if you're on a computer and you're on your computer for, you know, 20 minutes, you just had a concussion, and after 20 minutes, you're like, oh, my head's starting to hurt a little bit, my eyes are a little tired, then you would want to get off immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's when you want to start to rest. After that, you know, give yourself 20, 40 minutes off of the computer and then maybe try to go back later that day. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't want to do like just that whole cold turkey because right. then the return to it is much more challenging. Right. And it, you just can't build that tolerance back up overnight. And then people have a really hard time returning to work because of mm -hmm. that. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, is that the same for, like, sound and everything else? Very similar. And, you know, we often recommend instead of, you know, eliminating sound completely is, like, earplugs or even headphones. Um, so sometimes kids will go back to school and will say, like, where they get permission to wear earplugs in, um, in the classroom or especially in the hallways because that's where hallways, lunchroom, where there's a lot of noise. But that same idea is in anything with um, the stimulus from concussions is, we want to make sure that we can dose it appropriately. So that's where it's important to work with a provider that can help you figure out what that means. Um, but making sure that you're still exposing yourself to things that might make you symptomatic, but doing it in such a way that like, once you start to experience any of those symptoms, you immediately stop. And that way you can kind of continue to build that tolerance without you know, going completely to cold turkey and having no exposure to it. Because then again, the return to that is a lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it sounds very similar to how we dose any kind of exercise for physical therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to push it. We don't want you to feel like your body needs to protect yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. It can't feel that safe, which mm -hmm. is not good for general living because the world is really not that safe. Mm -hmm. So we need to be able to put ourselves in some kind of danger. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm getting from you from our conversation here. Now, the last time we spoke, we talked about uh, nutrition, actually. Mm -hmm. And that's very interesting because you said something that I was completely like surprised about, mm -hmm. sodium. Mm -hmm. Your recommendation for people with concussion and your intake of sodium is extraordinarily high. Mm -hmm. Speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so part of it initially goes more to uh, the autonomic population. So when you have a concussion, you can have um, autonomic dysfunction. So that's dysfunction of your autonomic nervous system that is the system that is responsible for anything that should be done automatically. So heart rate, blood pressure, um, digestion, kind of sleep patterns, those sort of things that we don't really think about. They just happen on the back burner in life. Like that is what that is responsible for. And we've noticed that people will have um, dysregulation of that system. And the umbrella term for that is dysautonomia. Inside dysautonomia, you can have POTS, which is where your heart rate skyrockets as soon as you stand up. Um, in that population in 
particular, the recommendation for their sodium consumption is anywhere from three to five grams mm -hmm. a day. And for those who don't can't visualize what that looks like, what what does that what does it look like? Three to five grams oh, of salt. Oh gosh. Um, well, if anyone has like a liquid IV packet, those are five hundred milligrams. So it would be six to ten of those those packets a mm, day. A day. A day. Yeah. Okay. So it's a lot. Yeah. Um, what we recommend, so that is the extreme in that population. We do have people post-concussion that also have POTS, so they will get more of that upper recommendation. With a lot of people that are having hydration issues, they're still feeling some of that lightheadedness with position changes, we start somewhere around one gram. And that recommendation is to help with blood volume so that there's an increased blood volume, there's better balance of their sodium potassium channels in their body, and that allows for better healing, more blood's getting to the brain, right? It's getting back up from their legs, those sort of things. Helps with them actually taking in hydration. If you just dump water into your body and continuously dump water in your body, like you're just gonna pee it right back out, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you don't replenish those electrolytes, you're not actually holding on to the water. So adding that sodium, which a lot of those electrolyte supplements have sodium, they have potassium and they have magnesium in them. So they're really kind of balanced for what the electrolytes that you're looking for. Um, having that allows you to absorb the water that you're taking in. So, cause a lot of times they'll be like, I feel like I'm really hydrated. I'm drinking, I'm peeing all the time, but like I still have these headaches. It doesn't really seem to make a difference. And we're like, try adding this one, you know, one gram of salt and these various electrolyte packets or whatever that you want to utilize. Um, and see if that helps. And most people will say, I felt so much better because they're actually feeling like they're hydrated because the body is holding on to that water versus just peeing it right back out because you don't want to more dilute your electrolyte balance. Like the body is looking for homeostasis. It's looking for a balance. And if you're not, you know, giving it the balance of both water and electrolytes, it's just going to flush the water out to not dilute the electrolytes in your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need the electrolytes for the water to work. Yes. Essentially. All right, so do you do like a nutrition thing for all of your clients coming in? Does everyone with concussion need some kind of nutrition consult on that? So we often give like a blanket recommendation um, for the hydration, for the electrolytes, and then some of the supplements that, you know, other things to consider based on how they're presenting. So I would say, you know, everyone's not the same. Some people have more headaches, so there's oftentimes we'll recommend you know, if they're having headaches and hard time sleeping, maybe magnesium at night might be more beneficial to them. Um, vitamin B uh, complex is often com given for people for the headaches and kind of brain healing, energy, cell rebuilding. So some of those recommendations will be given based on how people feel and what they are coming in with their chief complaints. Uh, it's not normally the biggest thing I, I start on, uh, but it's definitely something to consider, you know, Blood, if they're having like big blood sugar spikes and feeling like, you know, energy waves up and down, we might talk about how much they're eating of carbs versus protein, those sort of things. I think the biggest nutrition thing that comes into play post-concussion is more with the athletes and the reminder that despite you're not working out as hard and as um, challenging as you used to be at the same intensity that you used to be, your body is still requiring similar amounts of nutrition um, protein, macronutrients as you were having before, because your body is working just as hard to heal, which is very similar, I think, in the orthopedic space where, mm -hmm. you know, even though you might not be able to work out as much as you wanted because of your knee injury or whatever, you still need to be 
fueling your body because it is working for you. Mm -hmm. Now, can someone have a concussion and not know they have a concussion? Yeah, that happens a lot um, where we have people, you know, they'll come in because they've been having really bad headaches or they're having a hard time with work or school or they're feeling dizzy at, at odd times. And, you know, it could be two, three, four months prior and we're like, oh, did you ever did you hit your head on something? And they'll be like, oh, no. And then you'll keep talking with them and then they'll be like, you know, like, I guess I did, like, maybe like I fell down the stairs, but I didn't hit my head. Like I didn't really think anything of it. I felt fine after I continued to do my stuff, like no big deal, but like me, maybe. Mm. And oftentimes as you like kind of talk a little bit more with them and kind of see what's been going on, that likely was the trigger to the symptoms that they were experiencing, but the onset happened later. And that mm. can be common in concussions, even if you know you have a concussion. So I'll have people that knew, you know, they, had a concussion playing sports. They like knew exactly when it happened, right? But they took two weeks off, you know, they did what they thought they needed to do and they went back to sport and they went back to school. And then, you know, four months later, they're having all these symptoms. And it was at the time they gave themselves, let's say enough rest um, where they weren't really symptomatic, but over time, like the compensations that the body was doing for that concussion, couldn't hold up anymore. Maybe they got sick. Maybe there was a big stressor in their life. Um, something big happened at work and they couldn't really keep up. They were not getting as much sleep as they used to because something else happened. And now all their concussion symptoms are back to the forefront, but they don't necessarily think to relate it to the concussion, whether they knew or they didn't know that they had it because it was so long ago. All right, so that's interesting. So you can, first of all, we learned a couple of things. Number one, you don't even have to hit your head to have a concussion. <laughs> So just the act of falling down the stairs, not having any contact to your head at all, that can trigger a concussion. Mm -hmm. And number two, just because you feel good uh, two weeks afterwards, if you have a lot of other life stresses, mm -hmm. that can bring on concussion symptoms months afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it can almost feel like it came out of nowhere. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's confusing for a lot of people because mm -hmm. they'll get like a headache and they're like, oh, and, and they will justify it, you know? Oh yeah, probably because I didn't drink enough water, probably because you know, I didn't get enough up. sleep. Yeah, and I'm like whatever, whatever stressor, right, brought it on, they probably just blame that stressor. Right. So if it's work really, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm on my computer a lot at work, work is really stressful, that's probably why I have all these headaches. Yeah. And they'll just kind of shove it under the rug, shove it under the rug, and then it just starts to build, likely to being more things. So like dizziness with movement or not feeling like they can exercise anymore. And that's when they're like, okay, something's going on. And then they'll start to maybe see someone and mm. put the pieces to the puzzle together. Yeah. So how would someone like that find their way around to you? Because they're probably not thinking about you during that time, because they're probably thinking, oh, I need to probably just get a massage, you know, I probably need to just, you know, take some pills for this headache yeah. and stuff like that. So it, it, it does typically, you know, unfortunately get to be the later on, later on down the line where, you know, the headache doesn't go away after the massage or, you know, the I think the big thing is you know, the stress, whatever the stressor was, like kind of went away and the symptoms didn't go away. Um, and then most of the time people start to, you know, everyone Googles their symptoms. So <laughs> it's a headache or some of the dizziness. So I think it's like to the point where people are starting to feel more than just the headache, mm -hmm. they'll start to find their way to me because they'll be like, oh, I have headaches and dizziness and 
they might be like, oh, well, I had headaches with my concussion. And maybe they'll talk to someone who said, I had a concussion, I did this. Maybe it will still help your headaches, even though you don't think it's a concussion. And that's mm -hmm. how they end up in my office. Because I do see people often that present similarly to a concussion that maybe isn't necessarily a concussion, but that's what they feel. And so they've kind of are like, well, I kind of feel like I have a concussion. I have these symptoms. Like, can you help? And oftentimes, if they are related to you know, the vision, the vestibular system, or are similar drivers, I can help them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how they end up with me, even though then I tell them, you probably had a concussion, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, for, some of, for the person that we're talking about. But. Yes, uh, it's kind of like people with a disc injury. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got this IT band thing. I've been trying to roll off for two years. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it might be the disc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we take care of it, and then it goes away really quickly. Right. Or you can just you know, bark on the wrong tree for a long time and not really get anywhere. So what is the most common complaint that people come in and see you for? Um, I would say- Those who don't know or not suspecting they have a concussion. Uh, yeah, so I would say definitely, it, you know, headaches is a big one. Dizziness or motion intolerance is the other one. Um, and then activity, like not being able to exercise, feeling like they get really symptomatic with any sort of exertion. Um, those are kind of the three big things. And then uh, blurry vision or double vision are also things that people will come in as complaints, either with driving, which is kind of scary, or um, just being on their computers and like close work computer phone tasks. Mm -hmm. So that's more on the vestibular side that they will see you, which make, for me makes more sense. It's like you are also working with, you're also vestibular PT mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Actually, I had a couple of clients who have BPPV. Mm -hmm. And I remember the, the Epley maneuver, mm -hmm. which is kind of like a little barbecue. Mm -hmm. And it works so well. Yeah. When it's the right thing. Yeah. When it's, so I did a, my mom was complaining of that the other day. And I was on the phone with her. I'm driving home from work. And she was like, yeah, every time I roll over on my right side, like I get really dizzy. And I was like, okay. I'm like, go to your bed and roll over on your right side and stay there. And then we walked through the whole thing. Yeah. And she's like, I feel so much better. And I was like, yep, I can treat you in the five minutes in my car. Yeah. Like, it's crazy because, like, people are like, oh, there must be nothing you can do for that. And it's like, it's really the easiest thing that you can, yeah. you can do for that if you do it for the right, if you are able to determine the right canal and give them the right maneuver. Um, so th that's one where when those come in, I'm like, ooh, yeah, yeah. I can make you feel better in one visit and then I don't have to see you again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> those are my favorite. Yeah, though, I see maybe like three of those in a year and they'll always come up like randomly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm just getting dizzy. I'm like, what, what, what's, tell me more about the dizziness. Oh yeah, when I turn over this side, I was like, yeah. well, let's try this thing. And then they go, oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe it's so, and, and it's scary for them, mm -hmm. you know, to, to feel like the whole room is spinning. Mm -hmm. You know, they're probably seeing, oh my God, I'm gonna have to go to these doctors. I'm gonna have to go through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. But it, this, the solution could be a lot more simple mm -hmm. if we find the right thing. Yeah, it's tough too, because that's common in the concussion population, like especially uh, motor vehicle concussions, but any of them, because you think of the force, right, that the whiplash mm -hmm. occurred. Um, so that could counter cue is enough to kind of dislodge the crystals in their inner ear, which is what causes the BPV. Uh, but a lot of times they don't realize that and it's kind of slides under the rug a little bit initially in a concussion and then so they've been dealing with that we're like at least like let's get that out of the way in one of our first treatments that's typically one of the things I always rule out on initial eval because like I'm like if some of your dizziness is just coming from you know positional stuff like let's let's get that taken care of to help us address the other things so there's some grounding for you mm-hmm I want to talk a little bit about vision because I've grown a little bit more interested in vision mm -hmm. as of late. 
it has to do with orthopedics, right? If your vision is off or your whole entire alignment, your entire posture will have to readjust based on your vision because mm -hmm. you need to see the nervous system prioritize vision and prioritize your feet mm -hmm. on the ground. You need mm -hmm. to feel stable and you need to be able to see, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and what I find is just the whole body is just an interaction of forces going in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. One joint go this way, the other joint have to go the other way mm -hmm. to balance that force, and then you just keep going, keep going, and then you get to the eyes in which your head turned this way. Your, your eyes need to be able to turn your opposite direction at the same time just so you can keep your focus going mm -hmm. straight. Now, how do you, do you incorporate vision when you're doing like exercises, even maybe like orthopedic exercises, do you incorporate that into your practice? I do a lot. So uh, when I do just see, you know, traditional orthopedics, I use it, especially in sports specific. So a lot of, I try to have an argument, you know, for different things that I like to utilize, the um, blaze pads, the light ups, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've used those before. I've uh, seen those, yeah, they look fun. They light yeah, up and you yeah. just have to no, smack it's really it. good for concussion, right? Because yeah. we're talking rea reaction time, visual, like awareness to um, kind of what's around you. They're helpful. But um, I have a lot of like just visual charts around the clinic and using like, you know, can you look at this chart and this chart here and read, you know, so you're moving eyes from in front to the side, back and forth, reading what the chart says and being able to spot each time and remember where you were. Um, so those sort of things are what we utilize uh, from a functional perspective, and that's kind of incorporating vision, the vestibular system together to make it more functional um, once people have proper eye movements, right? So we're not gonna do that with someone who, you know, can't track on a piece of paper, right? I'm not gonna try to have them track turning their head mm -hmm. or doing things like that. Uh, but it is really important, and a lot of times people don't realize when it comes to vision that 20% of your vision is your ability to see. Like, what is your acuity? You know, what you typically go to the eye doctor, the eye health exam, that's only 20%. Mm -hmm. The other 80% of our vision and how well we perceive the world is all motor control of our eye muscles and those visual pathways back to the brain and making sure left eye and right eye gives the same thing back to the brain. Mm. So a lot of times when people complain of blurry vision after a concussion, they're like, I just went to the eye doctor. They said, you know, my prescription's the same, nothing's changed, but like everything is so blurry. And that blurry vision is actually double vision. It's just not double enough that it's like this they're just kind of slightly mm. askewed because your eyes aren't quite lining up. They're not quite looking at the same thing. So you've got this blurry hue because you're not looking exactly together where the image is gonna just line up together. Mm. So it's educating they're like, oh, I don't have double vision at all, but you know, things are blurry. And we're like, okay, that's the same. It's just how far off your eyes are aligned and how mm. far off they're looking at each, the same object. And a lot of times people will, um, especially at night when they're really tired, the classic uh, thing that people will do is, you know, they'll roll onto their side looking at their phone and they'll just shove their face into the pillow mm -hmm. so that only one eye is looking at the phone. Because I don't like otherwise... that. I try that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> but people do that. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise their phone looks double. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the tricks that people do in your, your brain, right? And our bodies are really smart. Like we know that the world is singular. Like there should only be one chair over there, you know? So like you will make their image be one and then you'll just ignore any of the input that gives you something else, even though that's how your eyes are currently perceiving the world. So what do you do for something like that? Uh, so you have to, it's a lot of like retraining the eye muscles. So just like in an orthopedic, you know, injury, if you, 
injure your left leg, right leg, you're gonna favor your right leg going up the stairs. Um, so if there's some injury to the left eye, to the uh, motor pathways from the left eye to the brain, the muscles that control the left eye, they're gonna favor their right eye. So we wanna do activities. Now, gone are the days of patching, right? So we don't say, I just want you to look like a pirate for the next day and only use your left eye. But we'll do exercises where we do have them, you know, cover their uh, eye and force the left eye to do work and do the jumping and do the tracking. Um, and then we want to make sure that they follow that up with both eyes doing it together so that they can get used to that when they work together and they can track together and things like that. And people can visually see the vision getting clearer from being double, being blurred from doing these exercises. Yeah. So you'll see, and a lot of them we time. So it's, you know, a sheet of paper and you have to read left, right, like you're reading a book and they'll just be like a bunch of numbers or something and they'll slowly get further apart. Mm. And so we'll time them and see how fast that they can say it. And saying it out loud is really important as well as that whole closing the loop processing. Um, we'll see how fast that they can say it out loud. And you'll notice, like, especially in somebody like that, like left eye versus right eye is like significantly different. Maybe they've got 20 seconds difference between the two. And then um, the both eyes together will typically be somewhere in the middle because maybe at times they might start to just ignore one of their eyes. Um, but over time, if they keep doing that, all the times will get better. Left eye and right eye will get closer together. And that's mm -hmm. how we kind of can see progress and show improvement. Uh, we also utilize uh, sometimes like a red-green glasses. Um, and then you have papers that have red and green on it that match up. The, to the color of the lenses. And you can't do the activity unless both eyes are working. Mm -hmm. Because part you'll see with your right eye, part you'll see with your left eye, depending on the color of the lens. So if you aren't using both eyes, you can't complete the task. So mm -hmm. then they'll start to see that progress. But it's forcing the eyes to work together without covering them, right? Because both eyes are open, but you have to simultaneously use both mm -hmm. eyes for that task. Now, do you do these tests? Let's see someone wear glasses. Do you have them wear glasses when you do it? Yeah, so they should always be using their corrective lens mm -hmm. um, for whatever they need it. So if they need glasses for distance to see, you know, a chalkboard or something or to drive, and we're doing up-close work, then maybe not. Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa, if they are need glasses for reading, so, you know, some of our older population that are where they need reading lenses at that point in their stage in their life, um, then for the close work things, they'll wear their reading lenses, but for the far stuff, they wouldn't wear their reading lenses. Mm -hmm. So it's whatever they need the corrective for, they should use it for that exercise. And then if we're using like the red greens, but they need corrective lenses, they go, just go over their usual glasses. Mm -hmm. Now, this question might not be something you can answer, but if someone, you know, visually impaired, they can see, but not too well, but they don't wear glasses, and so the vision is not corrected. Is there a lot of side effects to, to that? Oftentimes their eyes are just gonna strain more. Mm. Uh, so even sometimes with uh, the concussion population, right, we wanna let our eyes relax a little bit more. So we might recommend, you don't need a reading glass, you might not, you know, prescription, you don't need one. We might recommend like a very, very small reading lens, so like a plus 0.5 or a plus mm. one, like something that's very, very tiny just gives the eyes that like oh, moment mm. like where they're you're not straining to focus um so they might feel more muscular strain from their eyes if it's not corrected mm. 
um, there actually was, you know, someone I saw a couple weeks ago where they were like, yeah, I was supposed to get glasses, but I never got them filled. And I was like, I really recommend getting them filled. Like, I, I think it's going to help you, you know, just in general, but also in healing from the concussion and the headaches that you've been experiencing because your eyes are working overtime. While that's only 20%, it's still forcing the muscles that control your eyes to work even harder. Mm. And if we can give them like a little bit of a break, that can be beneficial. Right. So I have this client a long time ago. We're not in contact anymore. Um, and this was something I'll never forget and it's very uh, peculiar. When she wore glasses, her body's position, like maybe straight, vice versa, whatever. And when she takes off her glasses, she'll turn and she'll look like this. Like her whole body would turn to look straight. So something about her vision really changed the way her body wants to hold her posture. Do you know much about that? So I would wonder if she had more non-traditional glasses and she had prism lenses. So mm. prism lenses are something that can be recommended in the concussion population after they have an injury. And they can be recommended for people who don't have concussions as, as well, but it's an eye alignment issue. Uh, so that is more for the people that see double, like their vision might be 2020, right? They don't need correctives necessarily for distance or for up close, but when they look at an object, they're not looking at the same thing. Um, so that's sometimes, um, you know, if you're looking straight ahead, right? My left eye looks at this part of my finger and my right eye looks at over here. It's not quite looking at the finger. And so that way I adjust my head a little bit so that I can look straight at the finger and I'm not getting that double vision or um, missed, mismatch message. Right. Um, a lot of times we'll see it more, a little bit more on like a lateral skew where people will come in and they're always like this and they have this little bit of a head tilt. Right. And then if you correct their head tilt, they don't like it, tends, they're like, oh, I see double, it seems a little weird, everything seems a little off, and they'll slowly through the evaluation get back into their head tilt. Mm -hmm. And that is something for the most part you can kind of work on with them, but oftentimes people will need lenses to help correct that if it is that drastic of a postural change that the lenses will kind of just, again, give the eyes ability to relax and send more of a max, matched message back to the brain of like what they're perceiving. Mm. Yeah, that was a very interesting moment for me. I, I was I just back and forth, I'm like, on, off, on, off. And I was like, well, you know, I got to say, I, I don't know what to do because I didn't have the knowledge that I have today and I wasn't even thinking that far into how related everything really is in the body. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would make sense, like, if you are straining your eyes and you might, you might have to poke your chin out or change the way you hold your head. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen people with jaws. Mm -hmm. kind of start to move. Do you know anything about jaws or do you work with jaw movements as well? Um, so jaws is typically something that I usually refer out to. Mm -hmm. um, there's only so much I can yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hone no, in I'm on. the same way. That's why, that's why we're having this conversation. I'm uh, just like, well, eyes, concussion, yeah. you're so, gone. <laughs> uh, there, it is common, right? A lot of clenching, a lot of tension held through the jaw. Um, TMJ is often common in the population. Um, but that is something I typically will refer to other providers to treat mm -hmm. uh, because that is not my specialty. Got it. Tell me, what is the most rewarding thing about doing what you do? Uh, it's always nice um, 
to see, because you meet these clients at their lowest. Like, they don't feel like themselves. They don't like, they can't do all the things that they love to do. And they, a lot of times, just feel a little bit lost. They might have been bounced around a little bit, kind of not getting answers and just, like, don't feel good. And it's great, like, over the progression of the time that we spend together, it's like you meet a new person. And they come in, like, when you're getting ready to discharge, and that's like, this personality's back, they're sarcastic, they're joking with you, and it's like, oh, this is, you know, the so-and-so that was, you know, before the concussion or whatever, and they start to, like, grow into their previous self, mm -hmm. and you can, like, slowly see those changes, um, especially because... I get to a point where I'm only seeing them every two, three, four weeks. So they'll make these big changes that they might not notice because they're with themselves every day. But I'm like, I'll like meet with them and I'm like, oh wow, like this is a different personality. You know, they're really growing into themselves and that's kind of cool to see that like evolution back to the personality and the people that they are. I absolutely love that because that's exactly why I love doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Especially when it comes to chronic pain. Because mm -hmm you aren't yourself when you're yeah. suffering through some trauma like a concussion or chronic pain your energy is zapped like you are just a, a shell of this person of who you're supposed to be like i have a, i had a client suffering a ton of chronic pain in the back couldn't do anything and i remember she said and i used to love to make content like make videos and stuff and i was like okay cool it just kind of put it back in my head and then we just continued our process and near the end I can visually see her online on the camera <laughs> and now she owns uh, like an online business Be and I'm like that's so cool to see because mm -hmm. the per you're absolutely right the person they start with is not the person they they, tr they truly are mm -hmm. so the question I like to ask is like who are you when you're not in pain mm -hmm. what what does this person look like and can mm -hmm. we meet this person yeah through our work so I think we, we're just on the same exact <laughs> wavelength there. Yeah. And I love that because you do concussions, I do more chronic pain, but yet the, I get the guiding star, I think, is still pretty much the same. Yeah. And the goal at the end is the same as, like, we just want to get you back to, like, what you love to do and what makes you you. Um, exactly. And guiding the treatments to be that way because I think it's important. You know, a lot of it can be boring reading for my stuff or, you know, some of the visual tasks don't, a lot of people can't see how it translates, but then being able to be like, okay, well, if you really want to get back to skiing or whatever it is, like, let's try to tailor this exercise so that it makes sense to skiing or your goals. Um, and kind of, I think people like that where they can see how like it translates. Like if I do this, then I can do what I want to do down the line. Um, and that's always fun to, you know, tweak the program a little bit here and there based on their goals and their passions. Yeah, absolutely. Just give them a little bit of hope to see the light at, at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. show them the tunnel's there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't even see it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this has been incredible. I learned a lot, and yeah. I think everyone should know who Dr. Chelsea Brown is. Uh, for the, Where can people find you? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at cbtheconcussionpt, um, and then I treat in Needham Mass at Reboot Concussion Recovery. Um, and we treat both in person and virtually. Excellent. So I would bring all the notes over into comments and the description so you guys can find her. Uh, thank you so much for thank coming Thank you for having today. me. Sweet. <laughs> that was great.